Thank you, choir. Guess it's official. Christmas is on the way. Are you ready? Are you ready, Ed? All right. I'm not ready. <clears throat> Somebody blessed me with a decoration in my yard. Somebody snuck over to my house at night and put up this Christmas tree thing in my yard. I came home late one evening, didn't, wreck, didn't notice it, let the dog out to do what dogs do, and the dog wouldn't go in the yard, kept barking. I said, what is a dog barking at? There's this big green thing in the yard. So, I'm ready for Christmas, I guess. <clears throat> this morning, first Sunday of Advent, when we turn our attention to remembering and celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians, kind of toward the back of the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning with verse 6 through the end of the chapter. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Please follow along as I read. But Timothy had just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we are encouraged about you because of your faith. But now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May He strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with His holy ones. Father, we approach you today and bow humbly before you. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts that are open to whatever you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. In the midst of all the distractions of this time of year, we come to the first Sunday of Advent. Sometimes I wonder how God can get through to us during times of year, the year like this. In some cases, in many cases, God can't get through to us because of the many distractions around us. Distractions that are good, mostly, but distractions nonetheless, if we let them get in the way of us listening and responding to God. Distractions like Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving could be a distraction. Many trips to the store. Oh, I forgot this. I forgot that. Honey, can you go to the store and get so many distractions? Preparing the food, planning for guests, planning to be a guest somewhere else. 
cleaning up afterwards, than collapsing on the bed when it's all said and done. Thanksgiving can be a loud distraction. Then there are football games galore. You talk about distractions. There are football games all over the place to the disdain of most of the ladies in our houses. Honey, honey, can, can you take the garbage out? Hello, honey, you who, honey, can you hear me? Are you listening? Can you take the garbage out? Ladies, during this time of year, I would have a suggestion for you. Now, I'm probably letting you in on a top secret thing, but, but you could probably do well if you would speak our language, the language of our football trance, as the, the men of your house become football zombies. What I would suggest to you is get a whistle, walk into the room, and and yell, personal foul, too much time on the couch, 15 yards from here to the garbage can, get up and take the garbage out. It will probably work. It's another distraction this time of year. And then there's shopping. The distraction of shopping, Black Friday, which leads into in the red December. Do you think it's a coincidence that the colors of Christmas are green and red? Of course not. We spend our green and get in the red. That's the, that's the, the, the origin of the colors of Christmas. This morning... In the midst of all these distractions, I would like you to try something with me. As we gather this morning, let us focus, especially on purpose, with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let us lay all these distractions aside this morning for a few minutes and fix our eyes on Jesus. Today, again, is the first Sunday of Advent. The first Sunday of Advent has been called the first Sunday of the Christian year. The Christian year that starts with us anticipating and celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The word Advent comes from a Latin word that means coming or arrival. It means to come toward. It means to draw near. It means to approach. It is a time to remember and celebrate God's drawing near to us when His Son Jesus Christ came in the past. Emmanuel, God with us. It's a time to celebrate God's drawing near to us in the present through His Son Jesus Christ, if we're paying attention. It is a time to celebrate and remember God drawing near to us in the future. In many ways, including the second coming of Jesus Christ. Advent. Coming. Drawing near. Approaching. We can best do that when we put our distractions aside and focus on Him. Approach Him. Draw near to Him on purpose. And for a purpose. To know Him. I want to know Christ. Advent is a period of four Sundays leading up to and including Christmas Eve. Christmas, the fullness of time when God drew near to us. 
Emmanuel, God with us. The first Sunday of Advent is a time of expectation and hope. The eternal hope that is found in Jesus Christ our Lord. In our scripture this morning, Paul is writing a letter to the people in the the little church at Thessalonica. He has received an encouraging report from Timothy about this little church. He was most encouraged when he heard the good news about their faith and their love. Verse 6. What we are witnessing here as we read through this this portion of Scripture, we are witnessing a relationship, a holy relationship held together by God and held together by, by the people's mutual hope in Jesus Christ. It is also a picture of the great commandment, those words of Jesus that He expects to define us. Love God with all your heart. And love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor. That's not just the person next door. It's the person sitting next to you right now also. Paul said, I am encouraged by the good news of your love and your faith. Love for God, love for me, and love for each other. Now that's the church. Look how they love one another. God used the Thessalonians and their faith and love to encourage Paul. Now Paul was writing a letter to encourage them in their faith and expectation of Jesus Christ. For the most part, those first century brothers and sisters, hope in Christ is just about all they had when they chose to follow Him. Suffering and persecution was often the norm for our ancient brothers and sisters. Paul says in verse 7, Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we are encouraged about you because of your faith. He goes on to say in verse 8, For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Now that we know that you're getting it, and that you're moving forward, and you're progressing in your spiritual life, now that we know that we can really live, this is exciting, Paul is saying. For Paul, he is encouraged in his own faith and hope because the Thessalonian brothers and sisters are standing firm in their faith, in the teeth of distress and persecution. What blesses Paul is he sees that they understand. Their circumstances are not defining their relationship with God. Their faith and hope in Christ is defining their relationship. See, that's how it's supposed to work. That's how it works in the kingdom of God. God wants to use me to encourage you. And He wants to use you to encourage me. Not to tear each other down, but to encourage each other in our faith and our love. When I see you allowing God to live and work in your life, I'm pumped. There was a lot of distress and persecution in the first century church, yet Christ built His church. You know, the church in which the gates of hell will not prevail against? That church was built during distress 
and persecution. All through God's Word, all through the centuries, distress and persecution has not stopped God's church, God's people. I wonder, will that be true for us? Now that it's our turn to be God's people in this world where we live? Will distress and persecution threaten to stop us? See, we are God's people now. You and me. Will someone bring the news about us, about our faith and love in the midst of difficult days? Look how they loved one another. May it be so, Father. May it be so. Verse 10 is a key verse in this passage of Scripture. Look at it with me. Paul gives us, in verse 10, his formula, if you will, for spiritual success in the midst of tough times. Spiritual success in the midst of tough times. In the midst of life, you could say. In a word, his formula for spiritual success, in a word, is prayer. This supernatural connection to God, this intimate relationship between God and His people called prayer. You see, Paul was encouraged that the Thessalonians were making spiritual progress in spite of or in the midst of tough times. But what encouraged Paul more than that was that God was using Paul's prayers to help them in their faith. Through prayer, Paul had a stake in their spiritual progress, in them being more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord during distress and persecution. See, here's how he did it. Here's how it worked for Paul. First of all, Paul prayed consistently. Verse 10, night and day we pray. Paul prayed consistently. It was important enough, he cared enough, he loved enough to pray for these people that were going through distress and persecution. Night and day we pray. In chapter 1, verse 2, Paul says, We always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. You could say that Paul prayed without ceasing for his persecuted brothers and sisters in his world, whose hope was all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, there's something special. Something special happens. Heaven comes down. When we agonize in prayer for each other. Something supernatural happens when we pray consistently. Nonchalant, every now and then praying just doesn't cut it anymore. There is simply way too much at stake in your family and mine, in your church, in our church, in our world. It takes night and day on our knees from time to time in the prayer room to bring heaven down on behalf of our brothers and sisters 
Night and day we pray, Paul said. No wonder his ministry was powerful and effective and transformative. Night and day. Paul prayed consistently. The second thing Paul did is Paul prayed passionately. Night and day we pray most earnestly. We pray with passion and purpose and faith and trust. You remember when Jesus prayed in the garden. He sweat drops of blood. He prayed with so much passion and and emotion that he sweat drops of blood. As he agonized in prayer. The pastor said, do we have to pray like that every time? Well, not necessarily. Not necessarily. But brothers and sisters, that's the kind of praying we need today. Praying with passion and emotion. Because we love each other. We, we care what happens to each other. And we pay the price on our knees. Paul prayed consistently for these people in distress and persecution. He prayed passionately. And finally, Paul prayed believing. I believe that God is going to answer my prayer. Night and day we pray most earnestly, Paul said, that we might see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. You could say Paul was praying with hope. Not hope that it might happen, what he's praying for, but hope that it will happen in God's way, in God's will, and through his and in his timing. In Paul's world, prayer worked. How about yours? November is prayer for the persecuted church month. When asked what they need, you know, these brothers and sisters that we have around the world that are persecuted simply for their faith, when asked what they need, they almost always answer, we need prayer. Please pray for us. On this first Sunday of Advent, we remember that Jesus was born into a world that persecuted Him, His family, and His followers. Many suffered and died for their faith in Jesus Christ. And as we know, Christ died on a cross. Believe it or not, many people in our world still suffer and die for their faith. And they still put their hope and their expectation in Jesus Christ. Like Paul, we are called to pray for them often, to lift them to the Father. So this morning we pause on this first Sunday of Advent and take a few minutes, just a few minutes, and hopefully more time later on your own, praying for these brothers and sisters that, that suffer today for their faith and listen to their story. Listen to these stories. I was ready to die. I closed my eyes and entrusted myself to God, Pastor Manuel said. But the bullet from the gun pressed against his skull never came. Earlier that Sunday evening, three strangers showed up to Manuel's house, and Manuel answered the door. 
one man put an automatic pistol to his head and dragged him and his wife Olivia to his church next door. They taunted him for six hours, pointing guns at his head, saying, we're going to kill you now. You think because you're a pastor we won't kill you? You will not leave here alive. After hours of this sinister game, one of the kidnappers pulled the trigger. The hammer of the gun struck, but the gun did not fire. He fired again, but the gun did not shoot. Frustrated, the gunman began to beat Manuel. The attackers fled, but not before they robbed the church. After that day, Manuel began getting threatening phone calls. The callers told him, your days are numbered, get out of the church. Manuel is one of the believers, one of the few believers with a passion to reach those that live with FARC, guerrillas, and paramilitary groups that fight over the drug trade in Colombia. He chose to move to a dangerous city and lead a church. The church attracted the attention of a paramilitary group. That is when the three men came to kill him and the threats began. He told us, we will serve in the church as long as God allows. But the fear doesn't leave like all humans. Sometimes we worry. Manuel's family is under intense pressure. Since the attack at the church building, Manuel and his wife were kidnapped again and held for several hours. His co-pastor was murdered. The threatening letters and phone calls continue with sometimes seven calls in one day. He moved the location of his church three times. Strangers attend his church services and he believes they are there to watch him. We have lived in our own lives what persecution is in Colombia, but we are fed by inner springs, Manuel said. He counts on Exodus chapter 34, verse 10. It says, Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you before all your people. I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the world that I, the Lord, will do for you. Manuel and his family can only see the mountain before them right now. But they knew God. They know God will never leave them, even in the valley of the shadow of death. Listen to this one. On March 21st, 2007, Christiana looked forward to the ending of the school that day. That's because the Christian teacher was to leave the government school in Gombe, the city in northern Nigeria, and be reunited with her husband, Femi. But first things first, she had to give her female students their final exam. The exam would test the students' knowledge of Islam. To prevent cheating, she collected the book bags of each student and brought them to the front of the class. One of the students began to cry. She told the class that there was a, that there was a Koran in her bag, and by touching the bag, the teacher, the Christian teacher, had desecrated the Koran inside it. Tears turned to outrage and anger, and soon the class shouted, Allah Akbar, God is great. They began threatening the teacher. A fellow teacher rushed Christiana to the principal's office. The official locked the teacher in the bathroom to get her away from what was now an angry mob. But outside, the anger was growing. Radical Muslims who lived nearby heard the commotion and ran to the school. Eventually, a mob of Muslim extremists dragged Christiana out of the school, clubbed her to death, and burned her body. 
It has at times been a dark valley to walk, Femi said. Even though I knew she had died, I didn't know how dark it could be at times. The Lord has been with me through these valleys, but I am constantly encouraged by seeing the precious and beautiful, innocent lives of my children before me each day. They are a constant reminder of my dear wife and how we both so desired to raise them in the ways of the Lord. Femi said that even though it pains him, he has forgiven the people who killed his wife. I have no option but to forgive those who have taken my wife's life away from me. Even though justice has not prevailed, even though I can forgive, it is not easy to forget. People in our world today suffer their only crime following Jesus Christ. You and I are so blessed at what we are able to do. We sing Christmas songs and, and have joy in our hearts and, and gather for worship. And there are people that, that can't do that in the open. I've asked Asha Disho to come up and just give us a little, a little um, understanding of, of what's happening to Christian brothers and sisters in the country of Iraq. Brother Ash. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor, for uh, always uh, remembering the Iraqi Christian in your prayer. I really appreciate that. Uh, as uh, many of you know, that uh, I was born in Baghdad, Iraq, and I was Christian when I came here. Um, modern Iraq was, was uh, if you know, that was the cradle of civilization, uh, like the Assyrians and Babylonian. It was also called Mesopotamia, which uh, means the land between the two rivers. The two rivers are the Tigris and Euphrates. To understand the history of Iraqi Christianity, start with the Last Supper. Uh, one, one saint to the right of Jesus is Apostle Thomas, who took the gospel and headed east after the resurrection of Christ. Thus, the Assyrian church, that's why I am, I am an Assyrian, <coughs> of the east was founded around three, uh, 33 A.D., most Christians in Iraq are Assyrians, and they speak Aramaic, which is the language that Jesus spoke. But now, after nearly 2,000 years, Iraqi Christians are being hunted, they're being kidnapped, <coughs> beheaded, bombed, raped, murdered. They face vandalism, discrimination, extortion, and loss of jobs. They're forced to flee, and many of them are afraid to go back. Before the war of 2003, there was about a, a million Christian living in Iraq, which was a minority 3% representation. They were a small minority, but we were free to worship. We were free to build churches, free to speak our ancient Aramaic language. And we did manage to, to coexist with the Muslim majority. But after the, the 2003 war, Muslim militants, now I just want to make sure you understand, this is a, a, a small minority of these militants. They launch a war on each other and the cross. They're surging Islamic radicalism, 
that have made practice of their faith a deadly enterprise. Now, there is only 400,000 Christians left in Iraq. And the reason they're there, because they're either poor or they're sick. They cannot leave. The rest have fled abroad. You'll find them in Syria, and Lebanon, and Jordan. And most of them went to the safe haven of northern Iraq, which is controlled by the Kurds. Now, you do understand, Kurds are Muslim, too. The Christian community in Iraq currently faces possible extinction as a result of the religious persecution. Many churches have been bombed, they've been abandoned, they've been taken over. Many deacons, priests, and even a cardinal have been kidnapped or killed. The few churches that brave to have services, it's only done because the Iraqi government posts armed guards around the church. Now, if you can imagine coming to this church with military escort, that's their situation there. The few churches, uh, I'm sorry, the few Christian left, they do, they do keep very low profile because they always receive letters that demand they either convert to Islam or face death. Women have to wear veils in markets, schools, universities, and work. They live in fear. They can't leave home alone. They're afraid to go to church. Children are kidnapped for ransom. Many of them know that the Christians have relatives in the U.S. that they think they're rich. So they kidnap the kids while they're going to school, and they demand ransoms, sometimes 50, sometimes 100,000. Many times the ransoms are paid, but they still kill the children. Christians are terrorized from all sides. They get it from the Sunni they get it from the Shiites. They even get it from the Kurdish extremists. Often the Christians in Iraq are associated with the U.S.-led forces in Iraq. They say, hey, they are the same religion, and they are called the Christian Crusaders. And Christians in Iraq regarded as a representative of the Western faith, and that's why they're targeted. In Iraq today, Islam is the country's official religion, and the Islam, or Quran, that's their holy book, is a source of legislation for all country. So I appreciate your continuous prayer for our uh, brothers and sisters in Iraq. Thank you. Thank you, Ash. Appreciate it. Their only crime is like you, they have chosen to follow Christ. And we, like Paul, have been called to lift them in prayer. I don't know about you, but I don't often pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters. But we should. We need to. So we spend a few moments at the end of our service, so inadequate, but a few moments, bowing before our Lord and praying on behalf of our brothers and sisters. Some of you may want to come and kneel at the altar and pray for them, but all of us, as we are together this morning, let's lift them in prayer. Hebrews 13, 1 through 3, 1 to 3 says, Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers. By doing so, so for, by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. 
Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who were mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Let's bow together.